This is Heart of the Enneagram with Sandra Smith and Chris Copeland. Join us as we explore the depth and complexity of the Enneagram system. It's not true love. We know it's a it's an illusion that I, I'm loved by what I accomplish. Sandra, it's good to be back with you again for season six of Heart of the Enneagram. I'm excited about this season, Chris, and it's good to be with you too. Thanks. In season six, we're focusing on the nine Enneagram types as leaders. Uh, Use of the Enneagram in leadership trainings is on the rise, and these episodes will consider best practices for using the Enneagram in leadership. Yeah, and to help us uh, explore that more, today we have our guest, Vance Brown, who is the CEO of the National Cybersecurity Center and founder and board president of a technology accelerator incubator called Exponential Impact. With over 25 years experience as a high-tech CEO, Vance was given the Excellence in Entrepreneurship Award by Wake Forest University in 2009. Uh, all of our alma maters here. Additionally, Vance was named EY Entrepreneur of the Year, the 2014 award, and was recently named one of the 100 most intriguing entrepreneurs by Goldman Sachs. In 2018, Vance was named Business Citizen of the Year in Colorado Springs. Uh, Vance graduated from Wake Forest, as did Sandra and I, and he majored in economics and a minor in computer science, and then got a law degree from the University of North Carolina. Vance serves on the board for charitable organizations such as Parents Challenge, Foundation of the Heart, and the Legacy Institute. He's also an honorary commander for the Air Force Academy. Vance has been married to Betsy for 33 years, and they have three children. So Vance, thanks so much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Chris and Sandra. Look forward to it. Yes, thank you, Vance. And as we continue, uh, we invite all of our listeners and ourselves to just find our place of grounding, take a breath, and to be more present in our body so that we can take in the material uh, more thoroughly. So Vance, tell us about a little bit when you first learned the Enneagram. Um, uh, When was that? What were the first clues that you had that you led with type three? Yeah, so I first really heard of the Enneagram through a uh, I guess he's a more modern day mystic. Richard Rohr uh, wrote a book on the Enneagram and, uh, and that was my first exposure to the concept. And then uh, my wife, who is a therapist, uh, really got into, she's also a Wake Forest grad, 87, uh, but she uh, was, became certified in the Enneagram. So I was like, you know, for the first subject to start taking the test, et cetera. Uh, Now, when I took the first test, uh, I actually came out as a one on the Enneagram um, and, you know, just thought maybe, you know, because, you know, the perfectionist, I have a lot of that in me and everything's got to be right. Uh, But it but when I looked and read more about like the three uh, and some of the nature and uh, of the three, I had to live with it, honestly. And I had to just, you know, what, what fits? me better and 
most people who know me um, would say absolutely a three. Uh, and, and I would say, given my history, uh, and especially the, and, and by the way, this isn't very positive necessarily, but the competitiveness mm. uh, that comes with it. I actually had a, one of my best friends from high school one time told me, Vance, you're like the most competitive person we've ever met, but that is not a compliment. I'm telling you as a friend, you have issues, okay? So uh, I think that, you know, it, it, it settled more with me of, yes, I, I feel more comfortable in the, in the three. Vance, you make a good point when you said, you know, I, I took these tests and, you know, I was looking at one and three and I had to live with it. Right. It's really, it's in that self-exploration and self-observing that we come to our Enneagram home-based type. So I am so grateful to hear you say, I had to live with myself and really notice. So thank you for that. And, you know, also, you know, conversations with friends, my spouse, people who know me well. Now, and I know that, look, it's more what can be confusing. Uh, this is, again, according to my wife, who has studied a lot more than I have, is, you know, the, the underlying motivation is what drives it the most. And so when I started exploring my underlying motivations, the three was definitely uh, where I feel most at home. Yeah, that's an important point, Vance. Thanks for naming that too, is, is really type is determined by motivation. It's that question of like, why do I do what I do versus behavior? So I appreciate you highlighting that. You know, you mentioned um, the competitiveness piece um, in terms of might might be a challenge. I'm imagining it, could, it might have been supportive for you as well. But I'm wondering in terms of your leadership, um, how has your Enneagram type uh, shown up in ways that have been supportive and then maybe in ways that have been challenging for you? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, it's good to, you know, I think for me, the Enneagram to be self-aware of me and I just self-aware of the competitiveness. And what, what does that bring to the organization in terms of my drivenness? Because as a CEO or as a leader, a lot of the culture comes out of my leadership style, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I've been part of running some very successful organizations, but that has come with a cost. Do I, you know, burn people out and, uh, you know, expect too much? And is that, you know, good for the culture? Um, you know, I, I think the, some of the best things that have come out for me as a leader or again, considering my own internal motivations as a leader. For instance, as a competitor and as an achiever, uh, performer type, was my, has my motivation been more about <clears throat> the organization achieving for what it does to my LinkedIn profile? Uh, or does it, is it more about the success of the people in the organization? Mm -hmm. And to continuously ask my question of, of like, am I more for their success or is it our success? You know, and, and so, um, just being aware and asking myself the questions, which, which I have to do a lot, uh, has been very helpful. Mm -hmm. Vance, that discernment, is this for me or for us? Right, <clears throat> right. You are a part of the us is huge because it's almost like it's the shift between um, or the engagement of holy honesty, which is the virtue of three. If I'm honest with myself, what's going on here? I'm very aware that, um, you know, I want to be about the team, right? I want it to be a team sport and I want us to win and celebrate together. And yes, we want to honor the individual successes along the way, 
But the big, the big wins are when we win as a team or as an organization and accomplish the mission. And I think as a leader, you know, my number one goal is to, like, you know, to align us to a common mission, right? And make sure we're all, you know, singing from the same hymn book, you know, and, and, and we, we all know we're heading in a, in, a, in a common direction. So, yes, and then celebrate that together. Mm-hmm. Well, threes tend to be quite inspiring because of the can-do spirit. They get a lot done. And you help others believe, yes, we can do this. Yeah, and I would say, you know, like what I enjoy most is the, the aspect of the inspirational leadership, right? I love to, um, I love the story. I mean, if you look at the software company that I started, uh, you know, with a, a couple of partners on ShareWell, right? Um, you know, I think I'm the master, supposed to be the master storyteller to the analyst, to everyone out there. And even the name Sherwell, why did we pick that? Because I want to be part of an epic story. And Sherwell is actually a river that runs through Oxford, England. And it's the reason we chose it. It's on that river that J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis used to walk along that river to come up with these great stories. And how they great, they survived the test of time. And I'm like... That's exactly, we want to be a company that survives the test of time and, you know, and has an epic, you know, uh, story behind it. And so that's exactly right. You know, I I love the story and I love to inspire our organization around a mission and story. Well, you certainly dream big. That's an example really of, of dreaming big and bringing others along. So again, many gifts. Do you have a, a, a thought about a pattern or something that challenges others about your type or a pattern that consistently trips you up in leading? Yeah, I would say, um, look, ego, I don't know if you ever heard of the name by a guy by the name of Thomas Merton talks about living from our you know, true self or false self and living from our ego. And we all, right, and and by the way, I'm not, you know, we all need some kind of ego, right? I mean, to survive, you know, in this world, being confident in some of what we can do is good, but too much ego is not necessarily a good thing where we're not living from a, let's say, a more um, self-aware, more conscious place. And, you know, I would say that for a three, ego is doubled down. Right. I mean, you know, it's we all have an ego that can be too much when it's about ourselves. But for three, that can absolutely be uh, magnified. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yes, I have to like and, and I, I guess the number one thing I do, Sandra, is, is I find if I if I'm becoming very defensive, and I watch myself being defensive, I'm, I'm definitely not in a healthy place relative to my ego. Because I can be, yeah, I, I can get very sensitive. Like, you know, if, I, if my image is so important to me and you're challenging me, then, and I feel the defensiveness come up, you know, it, it's a note to self of like, hold, breathe. I don't want it to be about my ego. I want to live from a, um, let's call it, you know, a more true space of who I am, right? And 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 I would say that also goes into, um, you know, how hard I am on myself. Uh, then I can also be very hard on others, you know. And I'm very brutal to myself. I, I mean, in fact, I would say I don't really love myself. I mean, if I'm being totally honest, I'm 
unless I'm doing something, you know, accomplishing something, it's really hard to love me. And these are some things come out of the Enneagram where you become aware of like, wow, I've noticed that those are some core issues that, that I hope to grow from. Yeah, I appreciate Vance. Thanks for naming that. Cause like, and it, like, it's tender for me, like to say, you know, I only love, I only feel a sense of love if I'm accomplishing something. Right. And that's so at the core of the three is this sense of like my worth and my value comes from doing something well, from accomplishing something. And, and so you, you articulate that really beautifully. And, and of course, as you know, part of the work then is sort of, can I learn that I'm loved simply, but because I am not because there's any, anything I've done. Right. Not what I do, but who I am. And, and look, that in, in my own spiritual tradition, you know, there's something about love others as you love yourself. But if you really don't love yourself, I think it's a, it's a, it's a problem to be a leader and truly love others well when you don't love yourself unless you're achieving something or whether the organization's achieving something. So in my own spiritual tradition, that hits me of like, well, I want to care for others well. I want to love others well, but there's a block there. If I'm not really caring for me, unless I'm achieving something or unless we are achieving something. You know, in the type three um, structure, there is the role that threes perform well. And the ego ideal there is I am accomplishing. And who am I, as Chris was saying, how do I love me when I'm not accomplishing? And there's a huge, it can feel like a huge gap right there. But if you can drop through that gap and get to the authentic self, then you realize really your beingness is impressive enough. Well, you named two Vance like a moment ago. I really appreciate the, you said, you know, when you watch yourself and you become defensive, right? This is part of that, like the process of cultivating self-awareness and consciousness as you name is that ability to watch ourselves and not just sort of fall into the habit, right? And just kind of ride the boat down the river as it were, but to actually sort of like, oh, I'm watching what's happening, huh? And then sometimes we talk about like, at that moment, can I become curious about that? Wonder why I'm reacting that way? Wonder what's coming up for me? And how might I have some different choice in that moment? Does that, does that resonate with your experience? Absolutely. And I'm becoming more aware of the importance of body work, you know, of just noticing like, wow, you know, what's I'm feeling in my stomach right now and why. So becoming more aware of my body and how it's reacting is helping me to then pause and, and, and let's say contemplate, be curious about where that's coming from. I've never met a three who isn't efficient. And I'm wondering in what ways you're finding or have found that efficiency isn't effective. You know, those are two very different uh, understanding, very different words. So how has efficiency tripped you up or tripped up your own effectiveness? From the world's view, I'd say quite a bit of successes, right? In terms of from the world's view. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's never enough. And, you know, I'm always trying to figure out how, you know, how do we accomplish more? Um, and so I'd say if I'm trying to be efficient individually and where it's all about me and I've got to pull it off, that feels very unhealthy. 
if I'm challenging the team of how we can become more efficient together, um, then that feels more healthy. Um, but yes, certainly as a leader, you want your organization to be efficient, right? Um, but it, it can become, um, again, uh, a drivenness and, you know, like an OCD type, uh, you know, re response, um, and, and, and not be wise and, 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 and be very counter productive from a, a cultural perspective in terms of how, how much we push it. So that's a clue for you then when you find yourself engaged in a drivenness, then you know to pull it back. As I am trying to grow, I'm trying to look at more of an abundant mindset, mm -hmm. but all this is, you know, changing, you know, I grew up with, you know, you, in, you know, on a football team, you win or you lose. And, you know, in business, you know, if you don't take out your top competitor, you're not going to be top. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, and you know, you make it noble because, you know, we're going to provide jobs and take care of our own and our own families. And, and maybe at the expense of, you know, our competition, but it becomes a, you, you, you create a narrative, which is, you know, win-lose. Mm -hmm. and, and that is not a healthy narrative. How is abundance changing that for you? You know, it's, 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 it's pretty wild when you grow up in, in the spiritual tradition I came from. Abundance is all through my, you know, I had a Christian background and you get, you know, you get the story of, you know, the, the wedding feast and there's more than enough wine or, you know, uh, the, the father and the prodigal of, you know, I am always with you and everything I have is yours. I mean, these themes, but they, they, you know, so, so that should be my culture, but the mindset of growing up in corporate America had nothing to do with that. Uh, you know, I think of abundance in the sense of, you know, from a cellular standpoint, you've got these particles that come together somehow using some kind of energy. I'll call it love or call it whatever you want. Mm. And these things that are not alive come together and all of a sudden there's life. It respirates, right? Like, Wow, uh, that's abundance, you know, where, you know, and, and the, the, the two organizations that I have that you mentioned, both, uh, you know, Thrivers Leadership and Exponential Impact, in, our, in both logos are the infinity symbol hmm. now to remind me of this, uh, this concept of what's well, infinite. Um, and that is certainly an abundant mindset. But keep in mind, I have to do all these things of, of reminders, you know, of, of these Ebenezer, these, these um, monuments, the stakes in the ground, because, you know, for 50 years, this wasn't my mindset. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm trying to evolve and grow and become more conscious. And, and it therefore, hopefully it may be a better leader as a more conscious leader, because I think people are more drawn and I think they actually do better in an abundant culture versus a, you know, we got to take them out. We've got to win at their expense type of culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It makes me wonder, um, Vance, like as you've done, been doing this work in terms of consciousness and like how that, how has that impacted your leadership? Like the more you become aware and the more you want to focus on the recognition of abundance, how has that impacted how you lead and as CEO and in other ways? Well, I mean, people know if you're more for you or more for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, people just know if, you, if, if you'll know if I, if I don't have your best interest at heart, 
And I just really want to use you for what you can do to make me successful or even the team successful. I mean, people know that and they're not as motivated. Like, do I truly believe in you, Chris, or say, for, for who you are and not just what you can do for me? Mm-hmm. And um, the ripple effect of that in an organization where, I mean, people become more loyal, uh, they're, they're more focused, they feel more meaning, when they feel believed in for who they are and what they're bringing uh, to the team. And, it, you know, it becomes a better, more healthy, and, oh, a, a more productive and more efficient team, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's counter, you know, a little bit counter to, you know, these concepts of abundance and, you know, actually it's better business. You do, it, the organization does better and is more productive and more efficient, um, but, but, you know, that it's a little bit counterintuitive in terms of um, the way I was brought up and, and the mindset that I had. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it sounds like when you're not buying into your fears, what you want becomes available. Wow. I would say, you know, fear, my fear mindset of not losing or, um, <clears throat> look, I... Failing. I, failing. Yeah. And then I'm not loved. Right. And, and, you know, that if we're made to love and to be loved and to feel love and, um, and, and that's how you, you know, that's the correlation. Then failing is, it just can't be an option or we don't, it can't feel love. And that's, you know, that goes right to the very core of, you know, the, the creation of who we are. Right. That's right. That's and right. for three, that super effort to accomplish so that I will be loved has you moving at a pace and a rigor and a rigorous work schedule so that you outrun love. Right. Right. I, yeah. It's, 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 it's not true love. We know it's a, it's an illusion that I, I'm loved by what I accomplished as an early child. It was, um, you know, my nickname, and I was a chubby kid. I was, my nickname was piglet. Right. Mm, and, wow. and, and I remember this, I don't know, call it a vow, call it, you know, I'm not going to live my whole life. And, you know, in a race or in, in athletics, I was always last, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I'm not going to be last anymore. I, I mean, this was back in the days when Rocky movies were coming on. And, you know, I started getting up at 4.30 in the morning and, you know, eating raw eggs and, uh, and going running and starting lifting weights. And, and so you start adjusting to to and, and then you start getting accolades no longer piglet but mm-hmm. most likely to succeed in high school and captain of the football team and well as, as a young kid how's that not love any my own parents would i had a little mug they would give me a mug and write all of my little accomplishments on the mug mm-hmm. right and and would i would feel my own parents love through um, through what I accomplished. So how do you not build that narrative? Right, right. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, really, like, I I have compassion for that, right? It's like, that's it's the messages you just constantly get is like, you're valuable and you're loved because of what you do. So, yeah, that's it's hard to unlearn that, Vance, as you're naming. Well, and, and when society is echoing that over and over and over, for three, it just, it just we just soak it in and that mm-hmm. becomes, the narrative and, 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 and a curse, blessing of a curse is take a three that it's, you've kind of pulled it off. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the success has come. Like, now that's, you know, you call that a blessing, but you can call that a major curse because now I haven't had to, you know, deal with that's a false narrative of what we're made for, right? And, and, and so it's, I think in many respects in terms of it's been a curse that, that as a three, I actually pulled it off a, a lot of my career to where I had a lot of successes. Mm-hmm. But that it was not good for my living from my true self or feeling the kind of love that I'm made for. You know, I wonder, um, as you think about other leaders, you know, business leaders, um, other leaders kind of who are younger, what is some, and maybe lead with type three, what is some wisdom that you might want to share with them as you kind of look back and through this beautiful journey that you've been describing to us, what, what kind of wisdom or insight would you want to share with a young three leader? Just some compassion and grace, um, for, you know, the journey and, you know, the, the, the life is a marathon and not a sprint. And, um, that, you know, these things of, you know, don't just focus on the doing and, you know, but on the being and, you know, developing, you know, boy, if I'd have known about work contemplative practices mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I, I just did a podcast or actually as a conference with some high school kids yesterday. And, of all the things they were curious about, because it was on careers and different types of careers. And, you know, we talked about all the careers, but I shared, like, I have been dogged by anxiety my entire life. Mm -hmm. I I went, I had therapy yesterday, so it's not something that's going to just go away. Mm -hmm. But but there's so many tools and helpful tools and that reach out. I never sought help in high school with these issues. I didn't have a category for the issues, but, you know, like contemplative practices, like, like that wasn't a thing back then, but they, it is a, they are things now and they make a huge difference in terms of being aware, in terms of the pressures off, in terms of it's not what you do, but who you are. I mean, some of these themes and, you know, I, it, it's never been enough. I've never had an accomplishment or award where all of a sudden I went, oh, okay, I got to the top of the ladder. And in fact, you get to the top of the ladder and you realize this is it, this is as good as it gets it's not enough. So maybe I go get that next thing or go after that next thing. And again, it never was satisfying ever. The bar moves constantly. You bring up a key piece of type three vents that isn't talked about much, which is anxiety. And every three will deal with fear and anxiety at some level. And part of that is that connection to six and anxiety around how do you see me? Or do you, am I a failure or a success in your eyes? And all of that can create anxiety. I so appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, I, and I would add, too, that there can be an anxiety. You named it as like, you know, I've accomplished this. I often will say, you know, how long can a three relish the, the, the good accomplishment? And often threes will say, just there's some, it's a nanosecond, right, before I then have to go and look to the next thing I have to do. And so that kind of drive can be, I mean, that's hard. It's really challenging. It's, it's never enough. It's never satisfying truly to our true self that, you know, uh, 
would live for more peace and contentment and abundance. Mm-hmm. Um, but the ego living from just that, you know, got to accomplish, got to accomplish. Yeah. And so what we're hearing you say is some of your contemplative practices are settling that in some way. Yes. I mean, you know, I've struggled through my life. In fact, I had, you know, I've I've run three large software companies. One of them I had to leave because of panic attacks and anxiety. And it got, it got, it got so big, the organization, you know, once you get the, I found I'm I'm an entrepreneur. And when you get to 600 employees, it's no longer entrepreneur. It's about efficiency and scaling and all those other words, which, that's more operationally minded. That's not the storyteller, the inspirational leader, the things I feel like more made for. So, yes, I mean, you know, so sometimes it just takes falling on our face and having to quit. You know, I, I quit one job because anxiety got too much. And then I had to go to therapy and start asking the questions and digging into these, like, why am I here and how did I get here? And, you know, the Enneagram, though, has been the most important tool uh, to help become more aware and put words to this. And then, then you have categories to, to, to start working on. And, and again, I highly encourage, you can't do it alone. You can't see what you can't see. And so the, the incredible help I've gotten with some therapists and et cetera, and friendships, right? And asking the questions I think have been so important. And yeah, then where uh, in my, historic spiritual tradition things like yoga or these contemplative things weren't okay you know it's like you know you know and and you know versus like there's just so much we lost you know and let's call it the the luther Aaron post that that uh were so important that were important things that were lost in my own spiritual tradition of some of the desert mothers and fathers and the contemplative work that they did we lost so much of that And so like reclaiming it and seeing the benefit of some of what we lost has been so important to my personal growth Mm -hmm. and, and to um, feeling more peace and contentment in life. Mm -hmm. I want to give Merton back to you now, Vance. And there's a quote of his that I so appreciate. And he said, our successes and failures are never our own. Mm. Mm. How does that land in you? Like the, to say our failures are never our own. I don't have a category for that. I mean, I don't even know. Even when you say that now and all the work that I've done, I immediately go, of course, they're my own. Mm-hmm. You know, especially as a leader, you know, the buck stops with me. And, you know, yeah, I can try to be noble, at least on paper by saying team sport, we win together. But, you know, as a leader, you lose and, you know, you kind of say, hey, that's, I own that. That's mine as the leader. And it's not true, but to hear you say that, I immediately went into, no, I, the failures of my organizations are because of me. And, and, here, and that, that's your ego speaking. Right. To keep you in place right there. Right. Right. And which causes the drivenness and the, you know, the, you know, no matter the cost, we got to win kind of attitude and the scarcity model of all that and the lack of abundance. And, and, you know, we're just in a society that I don't know how a three survives without major anxiety and major depression and all that that comes with it, because our society is built for threes Mm -hmm. in terms of the capitalist 
free market, survival of fittest, you know, our, our self-interest or what drives the economy, like really? And I learned that at Wake Forest, by the way, you know, my, <laughs> you know, my I, was, I was an econ, econ major. So, uh, you know, we, we teach it and, and I, I, it fit me mm-hmm. and I played the game well. And yet inside below the wireline, I am dying. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm dying. Yeah. Yeah. You name, um, well, this sort of one aspect of the three I hear folks talk about is, um, you know, I go and go and go until I hit a wall. And and sometimes threes don't ever quite hit it, whatever that means, right? I get sick, I get anxiety comes up, whatever. And 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 even if I hit it, sometimes I'll I'll give an excuse for it. But it's the courageous three, at least in my experience, who hits that wall and then turns inward. You know, and well, says, yeah. you know, what's what's happening inside of me? Who am I? What's this about for me? Well, you know, the the shadow or the deadly sin or whatever you want to call it for a three, it's this deception. And, you know, we, you know, we deceive ourselves too, right. And in all that. And, and so, you know, the work that I'm trying to do to heal and be a more healthy three is that, well, what's the other side of that? Well, authenticity, like I'm trying in this podcast to be authentic, right. Because I know it doesn't go with my nature to share that I've had a panic attack or that I go to therapy or, but it's important for my own healing. Mm. Right. To, to not just deceive and let you know, oh, no, it's all come. I've, I've gotten all those accolades and I have no sleepless nights and, you know, I'm just crushing it. No, it's just, it's, it's come at a tremendous cost to not only myself, but, you know, a lot of carnage in my wake to relationships of not just people in my company organizations, my wife, my family, I'm sure my kids. I want to dare to be authentic, right? And to be vulnerable. And I think for a three, that becomes so important uh, and it just releases. I can just feel myself actually just exhale when I can admit of how hard it is. Uh, and it gives myself more compassion for me and for others. You know, one thing I love about Enneagram is, you know, we all have something, you know. So, yeah, I have my deceptive nature. Well, you know, I don't know your numbers, but you've got yours. two things I want to say. One is just, I so appreciate your courage in uh, showing up here today and being that authentic self. So just want to acknowledge that and appreciate that. And I think the other thing at what I hear you say, and, you know, as the, I've heard three say this is like, as I become more able to accept I'm loved, not for what I do, but just because I am, then the more you can offer that and teach that to the rest of us. And so I hear you saying that in your work as well. It's like you want you want the folks who you work with and who work for you to know that they're valued in who they are, not just because of their accomplishments. So it's, I just want to honor that gift that you offer to others with whom you work. Well, it's also like, you know, bringing the Enneagram into the workplace you know, is a, it's an opening to, to have these kinds of conversations, right. And to get below the waterline and to, you know, I, you know, I think it's called the Enneagram. I started telling people in my group that I, you know, I love them. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, so bringing, I call it spirituality into the workplace is becoming one of my passions. And I think, um, 
because you know we want our true selves be able to bring our whole self true self into the workplace right wouldn't we be better and more productive and more if we can bring our whole selves there but i don't think we've been able to our society has not <clears throat> encouraged that at all and this tool has been amazing for, for me and our teams to have the, let's call it blow the waterline conversations, develop more compassion, more empathy. And I really believe certainly uh, creates a better culture. And, you know, the C.S. Lewis says you put first things first and you get second things. You put second things first, you lose both first and second things. You know, these things like compassion and bringing our true selves and, you know, these more fluffy words, right? Um, the, the interesting thing is, is the second things are a better organization and a, a, a more successful organization, right? You know, in this second half of life, I, I don't want to just work harder. I want to work smarter. I want to be wiser. I want to be more compassionate. And with the belief of abundance that it can actually be better, right? In the end, you know, falling, which I think life has a way to make us fall, but can it be then upward in terms of what we can give to humanity, uh, pro-humanitate, uh, what we can do for each other. Can we love better? Can we be more compassionate? And even for a three, it's way more fulfilling. It's, it, it's way better. Uh, it is satisfying. Uh, it is meaningful. Mm -hmm. And it's what we really long for. We just, it just took a while to, to even become aware that there's a path that's better for a three than just getting, you know, the, the accolades for, for, for the successes. So Vance, the question that came to me is, you know, in the beginning, I read some of your bio, which you referred to in terms of like, you know, it's about accomplishments, right? It's just sort of re-encourages the, the three. And I get as a, someone who leads with four, I have a pretty strong three wing. So I get that a lot. I, mean, I understand that a lot. So I'm curious if you were to t articulate your own bio, your own sort of like, what is your life about that may not be about accomplishments? What, how would you articulate that? Who, who are you? How would you talk about who you are? Well, in terms of who I want to be, yeah. um, you know, and let's call it this more second half, um, you know, where I want to be work more wisely and help others. You know, I think as I've grown and hopefully done a lot of work in personal growth and contemplative work, um, you know, I'd like others to, to help others uh, find meaning and purpose. I mean, I really have found as a leader, and I think if there's one thing I would say, you know, was good about my leadership style, I'd say from the very beginning, and the reason I think I've had some, call it worldly success, is I have, I love to see teams come together, and, and I, I love giving high fives to people who hit the three at the buzzer, and, and do amazing things and bring their gifts and as part of a team. It, so I love, I've loved building teams. Mm -hmm. and, and if I've provided some inspirational leadership along the way, then I'm bringing my giftedness into that. You know, no more important. All of them are essential to the cause, but to create an environment that everyone's essential to the cause and your number and your giftedness is just as important as anybody else's. I think fundamentally, I've always bought into that. Maybe it's because of early sports and, you know, watching how it worked, but I couldn't have articulated that. But I love to see uh, people bring their number, their gifts into a team and as a team do something 
to change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. And, and there is the inspirational leader. <laughs> right there in a nutshell. Thank you. Thank you. So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including the Wake Forest University Program for Leadership and Character for their financial and institutional support, for Sally Ann Morris, who created our theme music, and for Logan Greenholm, who provided website support. And great gratitude to Eric Merle for his quality editing expertise. Special thanks to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders, and certainly great appreciation to all of our guests. For more information about this podcast and how to get a copy of our book that served as a companion for deepening personal and spiritual growth, visit heartoftheenneagram.com. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.